0: So my uh, daughter Layla and husband Sam are currently watching all the Marvel Universe movies. That's what you do during quarantine, right? You just, yep, everybody's nodding. Other people have done this task. Yes, yes, good. Um, I am not. Superhero movies, not my jam. Um, But a lot of these movies um, don't just fall into the category of superhero movies, but of origin story movies, right? The story of how a protagonist or antagonist came to be where they are. I asked Layla to tell me her favorite origin story so far and she said Wonder Woman. Uh, But then also told me she likes to write her own origin stories because of course she does and it's interesting for her to imagine why people are the way they are and how they ended up where they are. And for the record she also said she prefers the tragic origin story over anything else which feels very on brand for a middle schooler. But talking about origin stories has gotten me thinking a bit this week about our origin story, the story of the church and the people of God and how we have gotten to where we are. And because there are people here who I can see, I'm going to make you show by a show of hands, I'm going to make you interact with me because I can see you. And if you're online, you put that hand up in the comments and I will see it. Um, but by a show of hands, how many of you have heard that the story of Pentecost is the birthday story or the origin story of the church? How many of you have heard that? Some hands. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. Now, if your hand was up or not, what it doesn't matter of this question, but how many of you could right now tell me the story of Pentecost? How many of you? F- I'm not going to actually make you do it, so don't be scared. <laughs> don't be scared. But if you could, you could kind of generally give me the story of Pentecost, like what it's about. Yeah, yeah, a few of you. Good, good, good. I, uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, perfect, but generally, right? Now, before hearing the gospel story this morning with the gospel, we, it's Acts, but we'll call it the gospel this morning. How many of you could have accurately told me the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Just a few less hands were raised for that one. That's all right. This story in scripture is the first Gentile baptism in the whole Bible. And I want to argue today, just for a minute, that this Pentecost story, the Pentecost story we normally hear as the birthday story, the origin, is actually not our origin story. I think this story is our origin story. This is our history, not, not Pentecost. I know this is blasphemous for some people, but I do believe that the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is our origin origin story. Now I understand wanting to lift up Pentecost as our start our origin story because it's awesome, right? Rushing wind, tongues of fire. It's so awesome. But I wonder what it might mean for us to have this story lifted up as high as that one. Now before we do that, I want to I want to take a little step back in the Wayback Machine and talk about how I was taught this story. It has always been a story about Philip. Philip doing this good, holy work of conversion, right? Anybody else heard that, this story this way? Philip, the good insider guy, the good teacher, I'm not, I do not mean to rip on teachers, so let me just be very clear that what Katie said, I'm not disputing what Katie said, you teachers are wonderful. But also, we've always heard this story from the perspective of Philip, the good insider guy. He goes to the farthest lands, and he preaches the gospel to the odd outsider. What was the lesson we learned from this? I learned from this? Be like Philip. Preach the gospel with confidence, and you too will save the sinner. But I wonder, is this actually the lesson of this story? What if this isn't a story about the work of Philip at all? What if we have made this story so impossibly small by making it about what a good evangelist Philip is? What if we've made God so impossibly small through this understanding of the story? So I want to begin with the eunuch. In Acts, he is not given a name, but first-century theologian and uh, Bishop, Irenaeus, gave him the name Simeon. So that is what we are going to call him. Names are important. Just to keep calling him the Ethiopian eunuch dehumanizes him in a way that makes the story a lot easier to just set aside as an oddity. So Simeon is a black man from Africa, a man of rank and privilege. He's the royal official in charge of the treasury. And at the same time, he is seen as an oddity. He's a non-binary person fully on the outside of the social order. Someone with very little actual power. Simeon is all of those things and also he's educated. He's wealthy enough to possess a scroll of Isaiah and he is literate enough to read it. Even if he doesn't understand it fully. He is on his way, we are told, from a journey to Jerusalem, which along with that scroll implies at the very least a curiosity about the God of Israel, even if he definitely was not allowed into the worshiping community by virtue of that list above. He had been to Jerusalem, very likely not allowed in the temple despite his rank and wealth and connections. He was a queer black man. It was not allowed. So he's on the road home reading his scroll, and there he meets Philip. He tells Philip what he's been reading, this portion from Isaiah 53. And what I love about this is not that Simeon reads Isaiah and understands it to be about Jesus. He reads it, and he doesn't know who it's about, but it sounds like someone he wants to learn more about because it kind of feels familiar to him. He asks Philip, who is this about? Is it about Isaiah? or someone else. Now, Philip doesn't dive straight into some theological exposition about Jesus. He doesn't pull out his favorite verse from John's gospel, Cough Cough 316. He, as verse 35 says, starts with this scripture, and from there proclaims the good news about Jesus. This is lovely. Now, Philip might have had his, like, prepared pocket speech about Jesus ready to go, but it doesn't work in this moment, and he goes with what he's given. He doesn't use a formula or an altar call, no sinner's prayer, no request to accept Jesus. He simply starts where Simeon is and tells him about Jesus. Now, in case you were starting to think this was Philip's shining moment where he's some kind of preaching wonderkind, the next part is even better. As they're going along the road, they came to some water and Simeon says, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? You got crickets from Philip here. Crickets. It's just a big old silent pause. Because the answer is Nothing. There is nothing to prevent Simeon from being baptized. Nothing except for Philip. You know, this isn't how things go. I'm, I'm imagining the process in his head. You know, you haven't taken a baptism class yet. You need to have, I mean, some understanding of what we're doing here, right? I mean, you have to believe the right things at the very least. There's a way this works. It has to be holy water inside the temple, not just a random body of water, probably dirty and muddy alongside a wilderness road. That's not how this works. And it definitely isn't how it works for this particular guy. He's not welcome in the temple, for goodness sake. A queer black man? No. Hard pass does not fit the bill. Philip had to decide in this moment if his God was bigger than the right practice. He had to decide if his God was bigger than the boundaries we'd created, the rules we've set, and the lines we've drawn. He had to decide if his God, our God, was bigger than the way we've always done it and bigger even than the way we used to do it. Why not me, says Simeon? Why not me? So note here, Simeon stops the chariot, not Philip, and they get out. And Philip baptizes him, and then in such a strange and awesome detail, the Spirit snatches Philip away, and he's just gone. He's just gone. And Simeon doesn't say, gosh, I wonder what happened to that guy. He was really integral to what just happened to me. He No, he goes on his way rejoicing. He's just like, well, and then celebrates what just happened. It is not about Philip. This is not about Philip. Philip's work is not the point of this story because he disappears and Simeon doesn't care. That's how you know he was not the point. He just rejoices in his baptism. And I think Philip is the one who learns in this story, not Simeon. Simeon comes with curiosity and openness and questions, but Philip is the one who really learns because there are so many moments where Philip can get in his own way. There are so many moments where Philip can get in the way of the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the angel of the Lord says, get up and go to the south part of the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. No, thank you. That's the wrong part of town. Right? I don't want to go there. It's dangerous. I read some stuff on the news about it. I'm a little scared. I'm not supposed to go there. The angel of the Lord said, go to the chariot and join it. Do you know what kind of person is sitting in that chariot right now? No, thank you. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Literally everything, everything is here to prevent you. All of the things are wrong. The, the place, the person, the time, everything's wrong. And yet God works here anyway. What a big, beautiful, Holy Spirit motion we have here. In all the moments and ways that could have stopped this kind of inclusion and radical inclusion at that, it happens anyway. Now, for those of you who opened up a Bible when we were reading, which I know is not a lot of you, but a few of you, it's fine. You might notice if you go back home and look at the section from Acts 8, there's no verse 37, if if you're paying that close attention. But I'll just point it out for you. It goes from 36 to 38. Dr. Eric Barreto, who was a preacher of ours here a couple weeks ago, professor, theologian at Princeton Theological Seminary, he reminds us that verse 37 is not original to the text. It was added in afterwards, and scholars have since removed it as a false addition. So this is super nerd information, but listen, this is so interesting. Because here's what it says. Verse 36 is where Simeon asks, what's to prevent me from being baptized? That's verse 36. And verse 37, the fake one, the one that we added in, says, and Philip said, if you believe in your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Fascinating, isn't it? It's almost like we love to add conditions all over the place. And as Dr. Barreto said, watch out, we insert verse 37s everywhere. Why not me, said Simeon, way out there on the wilderness road, outside the walls of the church that just told him, just told him he wasn't allowed in. Why not me? This is our origin story, ours. Why not me? This is where we begin. Not with a story of 12 scared dudes hiding in an upper room that fills with wind and fire. No, we start with a story of a queer black man asking, why not me? To me, one of these stories is infinitely better than the other. And I know, again, it's heresy to throw shade at Pentecost. I get that. But I like this story so much better. Give me a church that leaves the boundaries of the temples and goes to the margins. Give me a church that approaches scripture with openness and curiosity. Give me a church that asks, why not me? What is to prevent anyone from being baptized? Give me a church that believes and acts as if the gospel is indeed good news for all people without exception. Give me that church. That's the church I want to be a part of. That's why this is my origin story. This is your origin story because we all gather around the baptismal font and say, Why not me? Why not me? So uh, I was thinking through some of my thoughts about Philip this week on Twitter, you know, as one does. And uh, a clergy colleague reminded me something that I want to leave you with today. Because I've been pretty hard on Philip, I think. And uh, my clergy colleague gave me a perspective that I appreciated too. He said, um, the angel of the Lord didn't ask, hey, does anybody want to go explain scripture to that Ethiopian over there? He sent Philip. And all I could think was, oh my gosh, could you imagine who would volunteer for that? (laughs) Lord, save us all, was my thought. Sometimes it's not about who volunteers to do the thing, but who is sent to do the thing. This is our call too. We're not asked where we wanna go, or who we want to talk to. We are sent into the world to preach the good news. Not always by sitting down for an exegetical study into Isaiah, but sometimes by raising money to help our community or volunteering to distribute meals and supplies to people in need or by consistently and regularly praying for people who have asked for prayer. We don't have to do it just like Philip for it to count. But it is important for us to see the ways in which the Spirit sends you, each one of you, into the world to preach and teach. And it's important to note that just like Philip, we can get stuck in the rules and the ways we've done it before and miss out. We, too, can prevent the spirit at work in the world instead of being the vehicle for her work in it. There are people all over today, this very day, asking, why not me? And there are a lot of people out there throwing out verse 37's. Better do this first, okay? But I believe in, in my core, and I hope you believe with me, grace is abundant and there is nothing, nothing at all to prevent God's love from coming to you today, to anyone today just like we saw with Cooper. So do we take this grace, this abundant grace, this boundaryless abundance of love into the world with us as we go in peace to love and serve the Lord.